0: Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. This morning we'll speak to you for just a moment on this subject. Watch how you walk. Watch how you walk. Colossians chapter 2, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. When Colossians chapter 2, begin to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many... "...as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches, to the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you, and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Let's pray together. God, we ask that Your Spirit would speak to us, challenge us, open our hearts today, Lord, to understand Your Word. God, I pray... You will convict those who have never been saved of their lostness. God, where they sit this morning, Lord, you know it. You see them. You see their standing. Oh, God, I pray you'll open hell underneath their feet today. And, God, you'll help them to see that it's a reality. If they die without Jesus Christ, they'll spend a place, they'll spend eternity in a place called hell where the fire is not quenched and the worm doth not in eternal death there, God. And I pray they'll see this morning. They don't have to go. You love them. You sent your son to die for them. God, if they'll only turn and receive Jesus as Lord of their life, they too can be saved today. God, challenge your church today. Father, I pray you'll speak to us concerning how we're walking. Lord, I pray that as your Spirit challenges us and we do inventory today where we're found lacking, Lord, we'll turn from those things. And God, our faith will be strengthened today and our resolve and our commitment will be strengthened to walk in the Spirit in these days that will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Bless this time. Your will be done. We'll give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Well, Paul continues his letter, uh, again, to a church that was facing a lot of challenges. Paul uh, had never established, uh, he didn't establish the church at Colossae. Uh, it was through the ministry of a man by the name of Epaphras who was led to Christ there through one of Paul's ministries in Ephesus. And really, that's a beautiful picture of Great Commission work. Uh, Paul led somebody to Christ and then the Epaphras went back and began to live on mission, his community. That's what God calls us to do. We're to be his witnesses. But the church was facing a lot of challenges. They had threats against them spiritually. And one of those challenges was Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a belief by a group of people who were labeled as Gnostics. Uh, they had some spiritual ideas that were contrary to Scripture, and it was, really it was, a, it was a recipe for disaster. There was a smidge of biblical truth, a smidge of Judaism, a smidge of Eastern mysticism, a smidge of Greek philosophy. And you put it all together and drink it, and it turns into spiritual poison. And that's what Paul was concerned for these people, that, that the church at Colossae, who had not been discipled. Why, listen, why, why do we challenge our church family so much to be involved in a connection class? Why do we challenge you to, to come back on, on Wednesday, if you're bodily able to study God's Word, why do we challenge you to come back on Sunday night and study God's Word with us? And why do I challenge you to make sure you're self-feeding every day? Because it is with God's Word and His Word alone in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you can stand against false doctrine. That's it. You have to be equip, equipped with truth. And so they had not been fully discipled. And so Paul was writing to equip them with truth. Uh, these these you know gnostics they believe their doctrine offered a fuller spiritual experience he looked at this they would come to the church cost and say you know you guys are lacking you know, if you listen to us and you'll start following our beliefs it's really going to take you to a higher level you're you're missing out you don't have this full experience so paul continues to warn and to exhort this church three things paul shares to challenge them to watch how they walk as they continue to live on mission. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse number 1. Paul says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you, those in Laodicea, and for as many who have not seen my flesh. Well, who, who's the you? Well, first off, it was the church at Laodicea. Again, it was these people who had responded to Epaphras' ministry. A church had been planted. Then there was a church in Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3 details it's, it's a pitiful church. It's a church that had the same opportunity as the other church does, to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and to live for Christ. But they began to rely on their riches and the things that they had, and they became lukewarm. They became apathetic and absolutely indifferent to the things of Christ. If they'd have made church T-shirts on the front of it, it would have said whatever. That was, that was their motto in ministry, just, just whatever. Uh, they had grown lukewarm. So Paul was concerned about them. But notice this. Look, look at your Bibles in verse number 1. He says, the letter is also for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Anybody see the Apostle Paul last week? This morning on the way to church? What about last month? So that's all of us. We've never seen it. It's it's for us. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God was not just preparing a letter for the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea. He was preparing biblical truths for us. We will never be challenged by Gnosticism, most likely, but we're going to be challenged with false doctrine. And so you just fill in the blank. The devil tried to tell you that really this world, you're missing out by not living for the world. You know, going to church and reading your Bible, giving your life wholly to Christ. No, man, you're, God's holy. You're missing out. And that's what the Gnostics were saying. And so this letter, this one, challenges us as well to see the fullness that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, what is it that he wanted them all to know Colossae, Laodicea, and us. Well, number one, he wanted them to understand an all-consuming conflict. Number one, an all-consuming conflict. Look at your Bibles again, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. What a a great conflict, that word conflict is. It's, it's the same Greek word that we saw last week in the verse right above verse 1 and verse 29 where Paul says, to this end I labor striving. That word strive means to agonize. Paul says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have. It's the same root word where we get our word agony. Paul says, I have an agonizing struggle within me. He says, I'm in prison but I know that you're you're being tempted. These Gnostics are against you. He says, and "I daily have this agonizing struggle." He used the word the same word three other times. That the author of Hebrews used it once in Hebrews chapter twelve and Philippians chapter one and verse thirty. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and says, "You know, now you're suffering." He says, "You're living for Christ and you're suffering." And he says, "You're having the same conflict that I do." He says, "You're you're you're growing up in the ministry." Listen, ministry wasn't just about the Apostle Paul. He was reaching people for Christ so that they could grow to be followers of Christ and they would begin to live on mission. And that's our goal here, that you'll come to know Christ, but then you'll begin to live for Christ. And friend, if you're not living on mission, I want you to listen to me this morning. You're not living for Jesus Christ. You say, oh, I love the Lord and I'm living for Jesus. If you're not daily seeking to be obedient to why He left us here, and that's to fulfill the Great Commission, you're not living for the Lord. And so when you begin to live for the Lord, you're you're going to have a conflict within you. You're going to have a burden in your heart for lost people. Because as Jesus says in John chapter 15, you're, you're going to love people. You're going to have that same kind of sacrificial love within your heart. You may not like people. You may not like what they do. You may not like their culture. You may not like how they live and respond. But there's something within you that's going to love your soul because it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that helps you to love them. And you're going to have a conflict, Paul says that was what was happening at the church at Philippi. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse two. same word. He says, he says "I, I write, see you know how the gospel came to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict." We saw our study of the book of Acts. Boy, I mean, Paul really suffered when he sought to bring the gospel to Thessalonica. He says, "You know, not the internal conflict, but the physical conflict. I mean, it was rocks, knees and elbows everywhere that Paul went. Uh, There was this struggle in his concluding uh, work in 2 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. He he wrote to Timothy and and, and declared to the glory of God that he had fought the good fight. That word fight is that same word as conflict translated earlier. He says, I I have agonized. He says, I have agonized The, the good agonization. Paul says, every day I have agonized to see people come to Christ and to grow in Christ. And to be encouraged to keep serving Christ. Paul says, I've done this. I've agonized the good agony. Friend, there's, there's a lot of things that aren't worth suffering for. You know, like if, you're, if any of you are sitting, you know, on a pew that has a tack that's come up in it, you know, move to another seat. There's no reason to sit there and, and suffer. You know, if you've got a pair of socks that are cutting circulation off your leg, change your socks. You know, there's, there's no reason to sit there and suffer. But friend, there's a suffering that's God honoring. There's an agony. And it's to have a burden. Listen, the church at Laodicea, they didn't care if anybody died and went to hell. They didn't care. Hell wasn't hot to them anymore. They could abs- they were indifferent. It's not, you know, that they just they hoped anybody would go, but they really didn't care. They become lukewarm. Paul, that wasn't the case for the Apostle Paul. He says, I agonized daily. I agonized daily over what people were saved and growing in. The Word, the author of Hebrews, which again, it, it sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul's writing, Hebrews 12 and verse 1. He says, let us run the race that's set forth, us, let us agonize. He says, when we serve the Lord, we're, we're we're to be all in. Not just the slow, you know, I'll kind of make it jog. You know, we call it sandbagging. You know, just holding back. I'll... I'll, I'll exert as much energy as I feel like. Paul says, not I me. Mean, for Paul, once he got saved, it was knees and elbows until he stepped into the presence of Christ. Because he wanted people to be saved. And so Paul wanted them to understand, don't miss this, that what he was writing about was serious. He wasn't just writing a letter to see how they were doing. Hope you're well. Hope you're having a good day. You know, smiley face. He was calling them, no, listen. I'm writing to you because I have a great conflict. He says, I'm very concerned for you. You need need to understand that this is not a joke. That Satan can really work through these Gnostics and he can derail your spiritual life. You'll never lose your salvation, but you can lose your testimony. You can lose your spiritual influence. You can lose your joy. And you're not going to be effective because God's not going to use you because you've got unrepented sin in your life. So he says, I'm I'm writing to let you know that this is serious. You know, if you've ever had kids, you know you've had to do it. I have to, you have to, and you begin to talk, and your kids keep laughing. They'll say, no, look at my face. Do I look like I'm joking right now? And that's what Paul was saying. Listen, listen to me. What I'm writing to tell you is the Gnostics aren't a joke. And friend, you and I need to be reminded, just as sure as we have a Savior in Jesus Christ, we have an enemy whose name is Satan. And spiritual warfare, friend, it is real. And what the devil would have you to do is to think, well, it's just a joking you know, And he's running around in a pair of red pajamas with a little pointy tail and a pitchfork in his hand. And he's just, he's just a big, funny guy. No, friend, he wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. We've got, you've got to be serious-minded about that. And so if he was seeking to work through the Gnostics in their life, and I'm telling you, one of the doctrines he seeks to work through today is just casualness. Just casualness. Serve Christ when commitment. Have, have your hell insurance, but just serve Christ when it's, when it's convenient for you. And Paul says you, you need to be serious about this, and you need to understand that the devil wants to be... De- To derail you. Paul says, this absolutely consumes me. Again, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Prior to that, beginning in verse 24, Paul lists all these things that he suffered for Christ. To God's glory. He wasn't trying to get anybody to smell the smoke in his clothes. You know, to say, you know, listen to, oh, bless my heart. He was just trying to say, listen, this is what ministry's like. But what he listed at the very end was, he said, the thing that consumes me the most every day, he says, is the health of the church. He says, that's my daily burden. So Paul wanted them to know that he had an all-consuming conflict. Look at your Bibles in verse number 2. He says, that your hearts may be encouraged being knit together in in love. He says, in in attaining to the riches of the full understanding to the knowledge and the mystery of God, both in the Father and of of Christ. Paul says, I have this great conflict that, that you'll be knit together in love. That the church isn't going to be divided. Our church family knows, I have said this since the first day that I got here. Issues do not split churches. I've always heard, it, you know, well, you know, they had the issue over this and some people left. You know, there was a little split. Or, you know, they couldn't sit on blue carpet or red carpet and the, the, you know, the church split. Let me tell you something, friend. Issues never split churches. Issues just show where the split already was. You know, in the wintertime, water gets down in your sidewalk and the water will freeze. And when it freezes, it expands and it makes, a, it makes a crack bigger. You say, wait a second, it makes a crack. No, friend, the crack was already there for the water to get down in. If the concrete had been unified, the water never would have got down inside of it. I'm telling you, friend, when the church is knit together in Jesus Christ and they're following Christ, there's, there's no different personalities. People aren't following this boss hog and this boss sow. They're following Christ alone. When Christ is the head of the church, then the heart of the church is going to be knit together. And I'm telling you, friend, we may disagree, but nothing will split us. Nothing will split us. Because your your hearts are knit together. It's the same in a marriage. It's it's, it's just you can't be split because you're you're one flesh and we're knit together in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, That's my desire. He says that, that you'll understand the great conflict I have, that you'll be knit together. He says, But it's in love, in Christ's love, not emotion and not this ooey gooey friendship love. You know, these teenagers, you know, walking around you, huh? I'm in, I'm in love. And you're like, yeah, we'll see. No, I love them. Mm-hmm, we'll see. Couple comes in, you know, for marriage counsel. Why are you going to get married? We're in love. Huh? You are. Huh? Well, let me talk to you after the uh, honeymoon, see if you're still in love. Because I want to tell you something, friend. Love is a choice, it's not a feeling. It is a will. And I thank God my wife chooses to keep loving me in spite of me. And I love her. It is a daily choice. It's not based on feeling. It is a choice. And it it is what binds us together in spite of ourselves. And it's the same in a local church. We love each other despite of all the foolishness that we all do. But it's it's not some will. It's the love of Christ that compels us to do that. He says, I'm praying that you'll be knit together in love. That, That word knit means to come together to form one complete, full, Not lacking heart. You'll you'll be complete in that. Paul says, because you're going to face challenges. And when challenges happen, listen, attitudes come out. Paul says, but when you're knit together and your eyes are on Christ, you won't won't be destroyed by all of these things. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And he says, I, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, listen, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now I want you to listen. Paul wasn't saying that you walk over things that are wrong. Now I've seen that. Listen, there are, Listen, when there, is, when there is a mess in the floor, you don't walk over it, you clean it up. It doesn't get better over time. As a matter of fact, it, just, it looks worse and it smells worse the longer it's there. But that's what people do. Well, God will take care of it. No, He's called us to take care of it in love. So when He's saying there, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, that means we don't go out looking to start wars, and we don't go out looking to start fights. Why don't you listen to me? We don't walk away from them either. And so we endeavor to keep the spirit of peace, in the bond of peace. Now listen to what he says. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. What's he saying? We're to be one body, and Jesus Christ is the head. And so that's what he was praying for this, this group of believers. He says, look at verse number 2 again, that your hearts may be encouraged being Knit together in love. That, that word is such that it's a process that's already begun to happen. He says, well, you, you, The moment a church was established, you began to, to be knit together. It is happening, and it's going to keep happening. It's the same in a marriage. You begin when, when you are married on that day, you go off on the honeymoon, and they two shall become one flesh, and so your hearts are knit together. But the more you spend time together, they're to continue to be knit together, and you'll never stop being knit together until death do you part. And it's the same in a local church. He says it's, it's, it's a process. It's, it's being done. But look what the Bible says again in verse number 2. Being knit together in love. Love is what it's done through. In 1 John 4, 7 through 11, it's the evidence of life. It's the evidence of life in the church. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Listen to me. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He first loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's what John says. So Paul says, this is a serious thing. I'm I'm, I'm writing to tell you about this all-consuming conflict I have, that your hearts will be knit together in Jesus Christ through the love of Christ. He said, and in that, you're, you're going to be encouraged. Look at verse 2 again. That your hearts may be encouraged, not discouraged. Friend, listen. When the local body of believers, the local church, is growing in Jesus Christ, we're unified in Christ, we may face hardships and challenges, but nobody leaves the church saying, Man, just a, it was a great day at church. Ever. Everybody was just in unity and, you know, the Lord had His way. I hate that church. I never want to go there. Nobody says, they're like, man, what a great feeling it was today. The move of God. Man, I'm so encouraged. I'm so encouraged. They faced a lot of discouragement on the outside through spiritual warfare. Paul says, don't add to that. Don't add to it. He says, make sure you're staying unified in the Lord. You know, it's, it's discouraging to, when you put something together, find out you're missing parts. You ever get a box and you cut it open, you begin to go through the list, lay out all the parts, and you get to the very end, and you're missing three or four things? And so you go back to the store, and they say, well, call the manufacturer. It's not our problem. And then you call, and, you know, and after 15 minutes, you finally ask if there's anybody that speaks English that you can talk to. And then you say, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm missing some parts. And you so say, well, you need to go back to the place where you bought it. And then you go back there and say, no, you need to go manufacture. And, you, you know, it just, it's so discouraging. You just get so frustrated when all of those things happen. Well, friend, I want you to know something. Paul wanted that church to have an understanding. Look at verse 2. That your hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the fullness assurance and to the, the full assurance of understanding. Listen, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What Paul wanted that church to understand was this. When they had Jesus Christ, they had everything. They had everything. There was nothing in their life that they were ever going to need spiritually that was lacking. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you've once always obeyed not only in my presence, but now even more in my own absence. Listen, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Well, what does that mean to work out your own salvation? Does that mean we work for our salvation? Absolutely not because then we could get the glory. It's all by grace. It's all to the glory of Jesus Christ. But once you get saved, you have everything in Christ you're ever going to need to grow and to be able to serve the Lord. And so that that word work is a mining term. It was something I used to love to do in the fall. This is about the time of the year when we'd plant Kennebec potatoes. And then around September... We'd put the spade bit in the ground, and it was time to mine out, to work out all that was in the ground. And what Paul was saying is, you need to work out of the salvation you have, all that God's put in there. Paul's trying to remind them, don't miss this. The Gnostics are going to tell you you're lacking. He said, you stand with confidence in the Word of God in your hand and say, I've got Jesus Christ, there's nothing you can add. I've got everything. Friend, listen. That was the essence of what Satan tried to do in the garden. He tried to tell Eve and Adam, God's holding out on you. You're missing out. But they had everything that they needed. He says, in in whom are hidden, look at verse number 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says it's in there. It's in your heart. It's in God's Word. The person of Christ and the Word of God are hidden all of the wisdom and knowledge that you need to be able to succeed in life and live a life that's pleasing to God. Look at verse number 6. It says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. And so when you got saved, you received Him in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so don't miss this. The Gnostics were trying to tell the church at Colossae, you're missing out. You don't have the fullness of what you need. You're missing some parts. All right, you're trying to be built into a disciple. You're looking at that big exploding picture of the engineering diagram. You're trying to follow. You're trying to be this disciple, but you're missing parts. And Paul says, not so. Look at verse number six. If you've been saved, you received Christ Jesus. And so therefore, you have everything you need. Paul says, I want you to understand that. He said, and it's serious. You, you need to make sure you get a firm Grip on that, because Satan's going to try to tell you that you're lacking. Paul says, if you've got Jesus, you have everything. So there's an all-consuming conflict. Number two, notice an alerting caution. He says, look at verse number four. He says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And that's what the Gnostics were trying to do. They were trying to deceive the people. He says, I, you don't need to be deceived. You need to be equipped with truth. And again, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, the serpent is more subtle than he beats the field which the Lord God created. And that's the way s- the serpent came in. I mean, have you ever seen the serpent come walking across the field with bells and whistles on? No. You know, it doesn't come running across you know, like a lion bellering before it attacks. Subtly, they move. Subtly. And that's the way the devil came in and began to did God, Eve, did God really say, You shall not eat the tree of the midst in the garden of good and evil? God, did, God didn't really say that when God in, indeed had said that. And Eve got confused. He was trying to deceive her and to cause them to miss out. And they did, friend. And the result was, Romans 5, by one man sin entered the world, death by sin. By one man there in the world and death by sin. it's because they were, they were deceived. And so in verse number eight, Paul says, beware. You know, beware is one of those words, you know, it's like it, it's not said with, you know, well, beware. Now beware. You know, there's not a Casper Milton. It's it literally inflicts itself. Hey, beware! Hey! You need to pay attention. This is serious. It's, it's like when you're driving by the big electrical substation, there's the picture of the guy that didn't listen that's holding on to the wire going... It's saying, beware, high voltage. You know, it's a skull and crossbones that says don't, don't drink. Well, what's the skull and crossbones? That's going to be you. You're going to be dead. You're going to be a pile of bones. He saying, beware. And Paul says, you better be serious about this because Satan's caught trying to cause you to be very casual about it. He says, no, it's no big deal. If I, don't, if, I don't, if I don't serve it, what, what if I just meddling Gnosticism for a little bit? It's like I hear parents say whose kids are out of the church. Well, you know, they're going to some cult and say, well, Brother Chad, we're just glad they're going somewhere. Don't be dumb. friend. it matters where they're going because it matters the doctrine that's being taught and preached. We say, well, I'm just, we're just glad they're going somewhere. I'm going tell you where they're going to go. They're going to go to hell. If they don't receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. And so it matters. And so Paul says, beware. Don't be casual about this. It's, it's an alerting caution. He's trying to wake the church up and to stir them up. Why, verse? Eight, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. That word cheat you means to lead away from truth and captive to false doctrine. He says, there's there's not another way. The Gnostics were going to try to say, there is another way. But I want you to understand me. There's only one way to salvation, and there's only one way to live a life that's pleasing to God. Luke 9, 23. It is full surrender and submission to Christ's Lordship. There's no other way. You say, well, this other church doesn't preach that way. Friend, I want to remind you, it's not that Greenwood has a bunch of ideas that we preach. We're just preaching the Word of God. It's what the Bible says. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That's, that's a narrow view. That means there's no other way. It's through Him and Him alone. It's not, it's not through works. John 8, 32, He says, You shall know the truth. Well, who's the truth? Jesus said He's the truth. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The Gnostics were saying, no, you're going to experience real freedom when you start following this. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day where there's an absence of the doctrine of lordship in churches. And a lot of churches say, well, look, we just, we just want you to be happy. You know, and you just, you live the life, if you want to drink, you drink. You know, if you only want to come to church once in the blue moon, just come once in the blue moon. If you don't want to serve, don't, don't serve. You don't want to discover your spiritual gift, you do have to discover your spiritual gift. If, you don't want, if you're uncomfortable witnessing, you don't, don't worry about witnessing because God loves you and he just, he just wants you to be happy. Friend, let me tell you something. The Bible never says anything about God being concerned whether I'm happy. He desires that I be holy. Holy. And the only way I can do that, friend, is to be submitted to His holy word completely. He says, you shall know the truth, and then the truth shall set you free. The only way you can experience spiritual freedom in this life is to be born again through the blood of Jesus Christ and to live a life of full surrender to Christ's Lordship. That's the only way. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So when the devil begins to try to speak lies into your life, you reject those things and you turn to the Word of God. Paul was trying to, to, to alert them to this truth that they needed to beware of all these false doctrines. Look at verse number 8. Beware lest anyone cheats you through philosophy. What's, what's philosophy? It's doctrine void of biblical foundation. There's people teaching things but not given chapter and verse. And I heard about a pastor in the area that says, you know, I don't... I just don't like to, to get too deep into biblical stuff because uh, you know, my people don't like to bring their Bibles. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a real church, isn't it? But I, want to say, I have nothing to share with you that can change your life, but the Word of God can. The Word of God! And so that, that's, that is what is to consume us at church, is the person of Christ and His Word. That's what changes us. He says, it's your word that sanctifies us and sets us apart. Not philosophy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Paul began to say, you know, where is the scribe? Where, where, where is the philosopher? You know, where's the doubter of this age? See, so they're... They, they they had this this big following, then they died, and everybody forgot who they were. Paul said. They're all gone. But friend, after all these years, 2,000 years later, the cross still stands. The cross still stands. It's the power of God unto salvation. The foolishness of God, friend, will always be wiser than the so-called wisdom of man. Now, I've made my choice, friend. I, w- I won't I'm gonna stick with the cross. I'll stick with the cross. So many are going in every other direction. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 8. Look at your Bibles. see one teach you through philosophy. He says, an empty deceit. He said, that's all it is. It's hollow. You look inside, it's a Trojan horse. It's, it's a goose egg. Looks good on the front. It's a facade. It's one big show. Is all that it is. But there's no heart in it. It's, it's empty. He said, and here's the sum of the... It's according to the tradition of men. Everybody can say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Get this folks group together. We think, well, this, this is the way we all to go. This is what way, way everybody wants. Friend, God didn't cost to give people what they want, but what they need. What they need is the gospel. What people need is the word of God. And I want to remind you, friend, all these doctrines today that are being followed, that they have people's names tagged to them. Well, I'm, I'm a follower of this guy. Friend, I just want to remind you again, you know, if it's true, then the whole counsel of God's word will support it. And you can't pick and cherry-pick passages of Scripture out of context to try to breathe false life into some doctrine or thought process that God doesn't honor and God doesn't support. Because it will always lay dead. That's what the Gnostics tried to do, and that's what men are trying to do today. You can't walk over passages that clearly refute doctrine. People men hold to. Verse number 8, he says also, he said this kind of thinking is according to the basic principles of the world. Well, what is that? It's it's according to the basic principles of religious training and ceremonial precepts. Well, what what in the world is that? It's man seeking after God. What can I do? How can I I find my way to God? What can I do to find God? Well, friend, God's not lost. We are. See, in Christianity... It's not man seeking God. It's God who comes seeking after us. He sent Jesus Christ to seek us out, friend. The Holy Spirit calls us and beckons us. And then we've got to make a choice whether we'll respond and receive Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of our life. So he says all of these things, verse number 8, look at it. He said, all of these things, the, the real truth is, does it contradict Christ? Is Jesus at the basis of it? He said, all of these things are not according to Jesus Christ. And that's the question to ask. Does this doctrine, does this statement, does this book, does it exalt the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it contradicted? Is he at the center of it all? So Paul is saying, verse number one, to Colossae, to Laodicea, and to us who've never seen him before listen, beware. Don't be deceived by any doctrine that is not grounded in God's Son and in God's Scriptures. Don't be deceived. And number three, he shares with them an authoritative command. Now look at number, verse number five. He says, though I'm absent in the flesh, I am with you in spirit. Does everybody, anybody have a college team that you like to watch and follow? Anybody? Sure you do. You know, I, listen, I, I've been here for six years. I know that you do. And so you may not always be able to go to that game, you know, that's going to be played at a certain time in person, but you can tune in. And you might not be there in person, but you're there in spirit. And Paul says, you know, I can't be with you. He says, but I'm with you in spirit. He says, I'm, I'm praying for you. I know, I know what's happening. Epaphras has told me there. He says, I, I'm with you in spirit. Verse number five, he says, and though I, though I can't be there, I'm rejoicing to see your good order. He says that you're going to walk according to the Word of God. You know, it's it's not the doctrine of E-M-F-H. Every man for himself. You know, a book of Judges church, where everybody does that which is right in their own sight. He says it's not like that. He says we're all walking according to the Word of God, following Christ. He says to hear of your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. What's that mean? Everybody continues to grow. There's no in and outers. In for a while and out for a while. In for a while, out for a while. You know, tragedy comes, puts on the prayer list, we're back for a while, you know, well, things get better than we're out for a while. Paul says, none of that! He says, everybody's growing faithfully in the Lord, steadfast. We're marching forward in great commission, faithfulness. Verse number 6, and he begins to talk to them about their walk. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, he says, so walk in Him. He says, well, who did you receive? Christ Jesus, the who? Look at your Bibles. This isn't me. Look at verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. He says, He's Lord of your life. He says, so as you as walk, He says, if you have received Him, so walk in Him. Well, how did they receive Jesus Christ? By faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the way everybody does. You repent and by faith... You received Christ just like a child. You trust Him to be Lord of your life. And so by faith we begin to walk. We begin to live out our faith in Him. Luke nine twenty three. we follow Him. We obey His Word. We obey His will for our lives. Well, what's that, what's that walk marked by? Look at verse number 7. He says, rooted and built up in Him. That root, word root means grounded and supplied. Roots, I had to dig some bushes up around my house. And I've been watering every day because I want to save money. I don't want to buy new ones. And I'm I'm hoping that they're going to take root. And so I'm laying the water to them every day so that they'll receive nourishment. They don't receive it through their leaves. They don't receive it through the limbs. They receive it through the roots. Paul says, I'm praying you'll be rooted in Christ. You'll be grounded in Him, and you're going to be supplied. You're going to find your spiritual strength through Him. How do I do that? Through His Word. Through studying His Word, it becomes milk, and then it becomes meat. Verse 7, look at your Bibles. Rooted and built up in Him and established. He says, built up in Him. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 25 through 27. I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to read this one. Listen to me. It's so interesting to me. Listen. In verse number 23, one of the most famous passages of Scripture where Jesus looks at lost people at the great white throne who sat at churches, who were involved in ministry, but they were never born again. And the Bible says he will look at those lost people even though they've said all these things they've done, and he will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's what Jesus says sadly is going to happen. There's going to be a lot of people who went to church, were involved in churches, but they never got saved. He says, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never, I never knew you. Verse 24 follows and says, Therefore, that is in response to this, in response to this truth, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, what is it? That's the Word of God. Jesus says, I likened him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was grounded on the rock. He says, so don't build your life on emotions and on the fleeting fancies, whatever's the popular end theme Christian book right now. Build it on the unchanging truth of the person and the Word of God. He says, it'll stand against the test of time. Be be built up. It'll stand against the challenges of life. Look at verse 7. He says, and be, be established. Be rooted, be built up, and be established. That literally means it causes us to be steadfast. We're, we're daily growing. We're daily moving forward. What are we doing all these things in? Look at verse 7. Rooted, built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. How do we do all these things? In the faith. We, we grow in faith as you've been built up and established in the faith. Jude 3. Earnestly contend for the faith. So well, I've got faith. That's not what he's talking about. The faith is the sum total of God's Word. He said we're to be established in that. When Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I've kept the faith, it's like, I've been keeping the faith while I'm in prison. That's not what he says. I've kept the faith. I've kept the sum total of God's Word and God's doctrine. He says, "I've, I've lived it out. Verse 7, he says, you do these things abounding in it with thanksgiving because you've been taught these things. Friend, you can't be taught if you won't receive. You've got to, listen, you can't fill up a bucket that doesn't get under the spout. And you're not going to receive what God wants you to have if you don't get under where the glory comes out, and that's under His Word. Through teaching and through self-teaching. Look at verse number 9. Look. I've been doing this for 20 years. I know in the congregation half of it is turned off and ready to go home and eat a ham sandwich. But friend, I'm telling you, just as sure as the Apostle Paul said, this is a serious thing. I'm telling you through the authority of God's Word, this is serious what we're talking about. You've got an enemy that is against your soul and you need this truth. You need it. Stay with me for five minutes, won't you? Don't check out. Verse number 9 says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Gnostics were saying, no, you're missing out. And that's what the devil said to Eve. You're missing out. Listen, God gave him the North Pole to the South Pole. The whole earth was theirs. But God says, for the tree of knowledge in the midst of garden, you shall not eat off, for the day thou eatest thou of, thou shalt surely die. There's one tree that you can't eat of. God says, but everything else is yours. And Satan came in and says, no, God's holding out on you. You're missing out. And that's what the devil's going to say. If you get all in for Christ, you're going to miss out. And if you come back to church on Sunday night, you're going to miss out on watching Andy Griffith all night. You're, you know, you're, not, you're not going to get those clothes washed. Don't go to church. You know, don't, don't come up, you're, even though you're bodily able." Put your feet up on Wednesday night. Don't come back and serve. Don't go be a listener. Don't use your spiritual gift. Don't join a connection class. Don't get your kids involved in ministries that can teach them the Word of God so when the Holy Spirit draws them, they might choose Christ and be saved instead of dying and going to hell. Don't do those things. That's what the devil says. You're missing out. But Paul says through the authority of God's Word, it's only in Christ where the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells. He says, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything. So why would I look anywhere else? Paul says, the world has nothing to offer. Paul says, it's serious. Satan's going to try to tell you you, you've missed out. He says, don't listen to that. Look at verse number 10. He says, you are complete in Him. That word complete means, friend, not lacking. I want to tell you something. When you try to add something to something that's perfect, it makes it imperfect. If it was perfect, it wouldn't have been declared perfect. You see, it would still need something. But when you've got Jesus Christ, you are complete in Him. You're still growing, but He's perfect. What's that mean? You can't add anything to Jesus Christ. And friend, if you try to leave something out, it's not going to be perfect either. He says, you're complete in Him who is the head of all principality and all power. That means all the things that the world has to offer that Satan tries to whisper to you that you really need, they're all under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them. Well, what, what is this for us today? Verse number 6, look at your Bibles. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. If you've been saved, say Amen. Are you walking in Jesus Christ today? He he knows whether that's true or not. If you're not, friend, you're missing out. I'm telling you, friend, the most miserable person in the world is not a lost person. It's a Christian that's out of fellowship with God. They're the grumpiest, most cantankerous people you'll ever meet because they don't have the joy that comes from walking in the Spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's trying to tell them, you don't need anything but Jesus. So don't try to take any of the devil's handouts. What should our response be to this today? Number one, listen to me. You can't walk in the Spirit. Uh, uh, listen, a baby can't walk if it doesn't exist. Right? The reason I can stand here today, is because January 5, 1973, is one of the most glorious days in Waynesville, North Carolina's history. I was born... And the reason I stand here today is because I had the beginning. Nine months before January 5th, life begins at conception. And then I stepped out in the world nine months later, and here I stand today. See, I had a birth. You can't begin to walk with Christ until you have a spiritual birth. John 3, Jesus says you must be born again. If you've never responded to the gospel and been saved, you need to do that today. You need to turn and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Won't you bow your heads and close your eyes. No one's looking around. I want to ask you a question. Be serious, okay? This, this may be the most important question anybody ever asks you. If you died today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven. I'm not talking about religion and joining the church. I'm saying... If you died today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? That's all I'm asking you. I want to ask you another question. If you were standing before God, and he said, why should I allow you into my kingdom, what would you tell him? You're a member of the church, you're religious, you're a good person, good neighbor. No, there's only one answer, friend, that will suffice. Could you point him to a time where the Holy Spirit of God convicted you of your lostness and you chose to turn from your sin and to receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life? I remember when that day was for me too. I can't tell you the calendar day, but I remember where I stood. I remember preacher Gary Heron standing in front of me, talking with me, and I remember praying and asking. I gave all of me I knew to give to Jesus Christ, and he saved me. Has there been that moment for you? If not, do it right now. He loves you. He died for you. He'll take you just as you are. And He'll save your soul. And give you spiritual life so that you can begin to walk with Him. But you've got to turn and receive Him right now. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never been saved, once you call out to God right now? Trust Him to be Lord of your life. Pray just like this silently where you sit. God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe He rose again. And I want Jesus to come live in my heart and be Lord of me. That's my prayer today. Now take me and make me to the man or woman you want me to be and help me to walk with you and follow you every day. That's my prayer. Head, your bowed, eyes are closed. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? I want to invite you in just a moment when we stand our feet and begin to sing to make your way here to the front. And I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next. Child of God? Are you, are you following the Lord today? Or are you walking with Him? If you are, Bob says, Let him that stand take heed lest he fall. Sure that up today. If you're not, let this be a new beginning and reconsecration to Christ's Lordship. I pray Psalm 86, verse 11, will be your commitment today. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Father, I pray you'll challenge your church and speak to us. Now in this invitation, God, draw us into your will. And I pray, Lord, we'll humble ourselves that your perfect will might be done as we submit ourselves to Christ's lordship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand their feet. Heads are bowed.